I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You're listening to Achtung Lowell. Broadcasting from the beautiful South Birmingham. Accept no substitute. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the world famous Achtung Millwall. We are big in Borneo and we are back. Uh, my name is Aaron Paul. Delighted to be with you once again. In fact, not quite delighted. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of just bullshitting that one a bit. Um, <laughs> you know, the whole Project Big Picture thing has got me a bit wound up with football right now. And at this moment in time, I'm I'm just tossing up whether I'm going to be going to Combined Counties League or Istimin Division when uh, my club decides to shithouse itself to more sort of like printing money levels of domination. Anyway, joining me this week, the podfather himself, Mr. Nick Hart. Uh, he's nearly approaching bus pass age, I think. Is it bus pass age yet, Nick? Or Well, uh, no, no, you don't get your bus pass till you're 67, Aaron. You get, you get all sorts of weird medical calls at the age of 60. Yeah. I can tell you that much, but we won't dwell on that because this is a, a family show. Let's just let's just put it on, he's expecting the rubber glove any day soon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that bastard Sadiq Khan, if Sadiq Khan's listening, sort it out, get him his bus pass. Get it to him now. <laughs> Stop being tight and get rid of this ULEZ as well, you bastard. Anyway, um, <laughs> carrying on as well, uh, we've we got a new signing. I mean, this is kind of like, you know, the you know the EFL window is obviously open to the 16th. We've decided to strengthen the ranks here. I'm not sure what kind of a contract Nick's got him on, but he's got him in through the door. We've got sports journalist and public health specialist Oscar Omar with us. Oscar, welcome. Welcome in. Um, you had a trial during the summer and, and, and you liked it. And so you've come back. Yeah, uh, I can't say that I'm getting paid much, but I appreciate the the welcome. And, and clearly I did something right in the trial. So, yeah, glad getting to be paid. The pay, is ter- the pay is terrible in this show, listeners. Hey, <laughs> I get a shilling a day and a whole shit sandwich. You know, like, <laughs> Nick, okay, Nick is a slave driver, mate. I don't know what you're on about, pal. <laughs> all blown slave driver. Um, gentlemen, we, we've come together this evening, not really to, to, to talk. Well, we're going to be talking about Millwall a little bit later, but obviously the big thing that's been dominating the headlines over the past sort of three days since Sunday has been this whole project big picture thing led by Manchester United and Liverpool, who amazingly uh, despise each other apparently, but now can work um, work with each other when it comes to, to printing money and and and, and sort of like Premier League domination. Yes, that's right. These two shit cunts have decided that they want to fucking sort their own little league out. 
This is the precursor to the Super League, by the way. This whole idea was a pure precursor to European Super League. They wanted to basically uh, shave the uh, the Premier League down to 18 teams, have some ludicrous uh, playoff system, and then basically, as compensation, give the EFL a one-off ha- uh, hit of £250 million. But when you divide it, it... it, it doesn't actually do that much for a lot of clubs and it doesn't really safeguard the future of, uh, of of football the whole thing was an absolute shit show and I think and I'm ashamed to say this was my club and our biggest rivals trying to take advantage of a very very bleak situation it's like that cash rich guy who walks into an auction after your house has been repossessed and he fucking scoops it up for a pittance that's exactly what Manchester United and Liverpool were trying to do it's an absolute disgrace I am ashamed of my football club I am very 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 ashamed of my football club but do you know what I'm not surprised because Manchester United are the equivalent of a football franchise. They are looking to make money at any point. Henry Winter, someone who takes a lot of shit as a journalist, uh, picked up on a really, really good point um, where he talked about how he met Joel Glazer. Uh, I think he's the chairman or the vice chairman of Manchester United and, and, and basically told him well, he wasn't fit enough to, uh, to, to talk to Sir Alex Ferguson, to talk to Sir Bobby Charlton, to even sort of, you know, have his presence graced by these individuals who have made football so brilliant. As a game, football is about the working class man. It's a working class man's game. We go on a Saturday, we enjoy, we come together. This isn't about money, but you know what? It's become something that is dominated by money. The Premier League has bastardised football completely. And I am fucking ashamed to say I support a club who have led this whole shambolic campaign. And I'm glad that it's been outlawed. That's right. In the past, what, three, four minutes, you know, the news is sort of breaking that the Premier League clubs have unanimously agreed that Project Big Picture will not be endorsed or pursued. Um, The controversial plans proposed by Liverpool Manchester were rejected at a meeting of the 20 clubs. Instead, all clubs have agreed to work together on a new strategic plan for the financing of English football, also signing on a £50 million rescue package for League One and League Two clubs. Gentlemen, um, I've had a bit of a rant because I am fucking ashamed. I'm so, so, so ashamed of my football club. Um, if we haven't proven what absolute scummy, like, dickheads we are, and I apologise, Nick, for the swearing, you can beep it, you can do what you want, pal, but we are scumbags. Manchester United are absolute scum. We are, we, you know... This is just proving exactly what these people are about. Making a fucking pound. Making money. That is it. They want to control this division and squeeze the very life out of it. If you look at the Football League, the Football League itself was founded on sort of democracy, if you like. It's like a mini political movement that governed a game. Governed a game to make it fair, to make it equal. This would be making a game not fair, not equal. Clubs w- wouldn't be able to break their, you know, back and try and get into the Premier League. And, you know, obviously with the spending power, they wouldn't be able to match the spending power of United, of Liverpool, of Chelsea, of Arsenal, of City when they arrived into the Premier League. They wouldn't be able to do that. They wouldn't be able to go and, and fight these teams properly. 
And then eventually you'd see a breakaway where the top two teams end up in a European Super League or something like that. And for me, that is when football dies a horrible, horrible death. We are lucky. Today we are very, very lucky that there are still some sane individuals in the game. And I look at someone like Denise uh, Barrett-Baxendale, who's the, the chairwoman of Everton Football Club, who's demanded an apology by United and Liverpool, demanded a fucking apology and said that, you know, effectively, you, you're trying to bring the game into disrepute. It's an absolute disgrace how United and Liverpool have conducted themselves. These fucking scummy people from America coming over, they've bastardised their own sports, they've sold out to England, they've sold out to Daniel Levy, yet they're trying to do it to our own game. It's an absolute embarrassment, and I fucking apologise. Nick, I'm about to have a cry. You crack on. <laughs> what a great rant. I've got to say, Oscar, that's the best thing I've heard in years. That's <laughs> fantastic. I love that. Well done, Aaron. <laughs> that's my five live pay the big bucks, boy. That's my five live <laughs> I'm not sure we're even going to be the ones who are going to provide sanity to what we've just heard, but I'm going to play devil's advocate. I... As much as I hate what they've done, as much as I'm glad that Watford were relegated and weren't a part of what took place, there were aspects of those proposals that were interesting. I'm going to phrase it as interesting and and not go so far as to say they're worth considering. But in terms of 25% of all future TV deals, on top of the 250 million rescue fund, in terms of potentially a pretty epic final season playoff between the shithouses who finish 18th in the Premier League and and whoever wins the championship playoffs that could be pretty epic I think in terms of getting rid of things that we don't really care about like the AFL Cup and the Community Shield being scrapped I mean that's got potential and the annual revenue being up from the Premier League to the EFL from 4% to 25% there are things there that are worth discovering and, and worth learning from not least the improved travel uh, attendances for away fans and a £20 cap on away tickets. I mean, it's worth, worth chatting about. Yeah, no, I, I agree, Oscar. I mean, there's Aaron's right. Aaron is right. This is the, the logical conclusion of the project called the Premier League, which began in 1992 as a method by which the... The big five then, I think I think that included Everton at that point and didn't include Manchester City, but the, 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 the same kinds of um, principles underpin that creation of this uh, behemoth called the, 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 the Premier League that has grown over the years to the point where now it sells its product in literally every corner of the globe and it's a huge money-spinning operation. And, you know, the, the logic of that led to the creation of the Premier League was to break the very... Um, the Football League's principles, which looked after the 92 clubs as a, as a kind of a collective, didn't allow this, didn't allow that, um, and was felt to be restraining on the, the interest then of Liverpool, Manchester United, Spurs, Arsenal. I can't remember the fifth one. I think that was, I think that was Chelsea. It might have been, it might not. But anyway, that's how we got the Premier League. So Villa. this... Villa. Villa. This, 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 this project big picture, I would put contend I, I, it's been knocked back i i've seen the same um, tweets that as we're recording this listens i don't know that the ideas underpin it have gone away um i'm sure they're going to come back another day um you've mentioned the european super league already aaron and 
you know, that's not going to go away because I read that the, the Agnellis, who I think are Juventus, they like the idea of a Euro Super League. And I'm sure the, the Barcelonas and the Real Madrids will do too. So a lot of this, these proposals were to create space in the calendar, an 18-team Premier League um, to allow for more fixtures elsewhere, more lucrative fixtures. And I, I, I'm going to go with a lot of what Oscar said is right. There's a lot of interesting stuff and a lot of good stuff in this proposal. It, 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 where it fails is the is the mafia-style hijacking of control of top-flight football into the powers of the um, the, the special nine, the the, the nine longest-serving Premier League sides, which would include clearly Liverpool, Manchester United, Arsenal, Chelsea, Spurs. Um, and then the, the other was bizarrely including West Ham. I mean, how they creep into this, it's, it never ceases to amaze me. But it's, it's that. Um, it's, it's the hijacking of the game and what that would lead to further down the line. That's the sticking point. And they're not going to concede this amount of money, they being the, uh, the, 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 the kind of mafia-style trio at the top of this little scheme. They're not going to concede anything big without getting something big in return. It's, it's Trump-style football here you don't give anything without getting a lot back and that's they're going to get complete control under this scheme I, I see that the Premier League have rejected it I wouldn't have expected them to do anything else because you're asking the the, the Brightons and the Burnleys and, and the others to to kind of vote themselves into a reduced position which they won't do I can't believe this wasn't announced without this expectation in mind um, so the next move in the chess game will be what happens next from the the Glazers, the uh, the John Henry and the Harry Trio. Nick, sorry, jo- uh, John Henry and Joel Glazer didn't turn up to the meeting. No, they have their stooges to do that. They don't. They don't. They Fucking don't, embarrassing. They don't. They don't, embarrassing. they don't. They don't. They don't dirty their hands with real meetings. They they have they have people for that. For everyone that knows me, they know I'm a staunch hater of the Glazers. I, I, I hate these people. They're fucking parasites. You know, I saw a book today. Uh, it's called The Glazer Gatekeeper by a guy called Tessin Naani, who was their PR guy. And it actually made me smile because he turned up to my university uh, when I was doing sports journalism about three, four, five years ago. He turned up to my university to promote his book to a room of like 30 people, expecting everyone to sit there and basically, you know, how, how how do I say it? You know, perform yeah. perform an art of fellatio. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say be a gog, but you've come when up with reality, a more, a more um, picturesque analogy there. I think. When in reality, I nearly got kicked out because I fucking nearly kicked the shit out of him. <laughs> Parasitic people are destroying our club now. Now, um, Oscar, I'm going to try and bring a bit more level-headedness to this, and I'm going to say this is why I don't like it. This is why I feel a bit iffy about it if you look at america the way they have franchised things and the way they work things they can do that because it takes you know you have to go on a plane to go from one side of the country to another it makes more sense to do things like that in america this country i can drive from one end to the other in what six hours five hours something like that we don't have the space for that we don't have the capacity for that we have built something so so good over a hundred years, a hundred, a hundred and thirty years in football, we've built something phenomenal. Now, if you look at Americans, they're looking to develop their game, and I and I I was 
a big person who sits at our set and I look at, you know, the, the NFL games that take place at Wembley and then this groundbreaking deal, which is basically finance Spurs' ground with Daniel Levy and, and how, if, I don't know if anyone's watched um, the, the Tottenham documentary, he turns around in one of the episodes. It's embarrassing because I had to woo them with a the stadium. You know, it took six months or two years or something like that of me, you know, you know, dating them effectively for them to try and get into bed with us. You should be fucking embarrassed, mate. Granted, you built yourself a new ground. One, there's nothing ever wrong with White Lane. Let's be fair. It was, it was a great ground. It wasn't exactly falling down. But this insatiable greed, insatiable fucking desire to print money has seen Spurs build themselves an NFL ground. It's not just the Tottenham ground. In fact, from what I understand, they have separate dressing rooms for the NFL. They need big, big facilities. They have separate yeah. dressing rooms for the NFL. The NFL are happy to see their game come over here. You know what? Why are we trying to Americanize things? Why are we trying to build these conferences, if you like? If you look at the MLS, I don't pay any attention to it because of the pure amount of rules they have. They used to have so many with drafts and salary caps and stuff like that. We were heading that way. And surprise, surprise, it's two Americans who try and influence this and try and bring this into our game. Surprise, surprise, it's two people who have been very, very successful in another sport. Obviously, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were well, less so, purely because the Glazers couldn't fucking organise a prayer in a mosque. Let's be fair. <laughs> the shit-housing bastards. FSG, they've been, been more sensible. They've operated on Noani Ball. They've cut him. They've got the best manager in the world. They've probably got the best squad in the world right now. And you know what? As a United fan, it pays me to say this, respect them. They've done things well. Because they've got the two biggest powerhouses in the world. And no matter how much Man City will shout and, and, and try and raise their little voice and go, we're a big club, we're a big club, they're not when it comes to Liverpool and Manchester United. They're not. Same as Chelsea. Same as Everton. These are new money clubs. These are new money clubs. You look at all these clubs who are getting foreign ownership and whatnot and, and, and people ploughing loads and loads of money into them. Yes, they've got the money. Yes, they're spending £40 million on Richarlison and, and money on James Rodriguez and stuff like that. But they don't have the trophies. They don't have the, you know, the clout, the clout in the name, the branding to back it up. You go to America and you try and sell shirts with the name Manchester on them, I guarantee you if you ask a straw poll, would they be red or blue? They'll probably go red. Red, 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 red. Manchester United and Liverpool are the two biggest names out there. It just so happens they're owned by Americans. They are trying to bastardise this game. Any opportunity. If you notice as well, over the past six, seven years, there's been constant rule change after rule change after rule change after rule change in the Premier League. Every year, VAR, goal on... I remember what, six, seven, eight years ago, they are talking about goal on technology. The watches. You know, I, I don't know if anyone remembers that being such a big thing where Hawkeye... Everyone was like, well, we need goal line technology. It was after Lampard uh, in, in the World Cup in South Africa. They brought that in. That actually did well. Then they were for, uh, talking about VAR for two, three years. They brought that in. Slowly, 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 they're talking about things. Talking about fucking Simbin. How much further can you change the variables that operate this game? Because that's what it is. That's what football's based on, variables and factors. The fact that, again, everything in life is mathematical. If... I have X, what will come out of it? Well, you could have Y or Z. Well, if I go to Z, what will be the outcome? It's all about differing factors. And, you know, in terms of these packages that were offered and whatnot, it's all superficial. At the end of the day, this is a power trip. This is the two biggest clubs in the country turning around going, you know what, we've got the financial clout. Let's back ourselves with City. Let's back ourselves with Chelsea. 
Let's go for it. Let's try and control this league to a point where no one else will get a look in. Man, don't forget as well, Nick. Really don't, forget, wait, wait, don't, don't forget, don't forget, this big six didn't exist a couple of years ago because it was a top four. And then in the 90s, it was a top two with Arsenal and United. There was no big four, big six. It's a, it's a varying, movable face. Oscar, you wanted to come in then? I... Yeah, I was just going to say, the Premier League already has been bastardised. This was too late. This was just... I agree. Reality, I agree. The reality in writing, isn't it? I mean, they're already talking with their money. This was just giving a vote to it. The Premier League is already dictated by the powerhouses. Are we going to get a Leicester again? No. Would love to see it. And I think it's about what you watch football for. If you're watching it, uh, I know I'm speaking to a United fan, so I'm probably preaching to the choir. Uh, but what do you want to watch football for? Is it to see the best or is it to support your team? And is it to travel home and away supporting your team? For a lot of fans, a lot of the new generation, a lot of the esports fans, they just want to see the best. They want to see the Ronaldos, the Messis. I'm not going to put Richarlison in that, but De Bruyne's. Um, and, and for me, that's why I love what for getting relegated, because you get tired of getting smashed 7, 8, 9, 1, or 6, mm, 0 in the yeah. FA Cup final. I love what for getting to Wick and Wanderers next week. I love the fact that we've got a derby against Luton Town. You know what? Fucking let them go. If United, City, Liverpool, if those clubs want to play in the European League, let them have it. I would much rather watch Millwall Watford on a rainy Tuesday night at the Den with a packed house and, and music blazing. And I don't think it's just an ownership model issue. I don't think it's just about those two individuals, those two shithouses at the top of their club um, wanting, to, wanting to kind of rule the roost. Because we also know that John Bellson is American and he's willing to, to well, what's he done this week? He's pledged 300 grand to the Millwall Community Trust. It's, it's not just a money thing. It's, it's the type of personalities we're getting in the game. And unfortunately, EFL and Premier League aren't doing enough to support the game and, and who's running it at the moment. I just wanted to make the point. Um, everything that, everything that you, you, you both have said is, is correct. But there's a reason why this has come to pass right here, right now. And that's the impending financial catastrophe produced, um, produced by mismanagement in many cases over time, but also more pertinently by the, by the COVID situation and the fact that um, fans are not allowed to go to watch um, football on, on any, well, at all at the moment, other than the most, um, most levels. So we have a, an impending financial disaster. Now, I, I, I agree that the likes of the Glazers and, and John Henry and, and, and the others, I dare say, do support it. They just have got them, you know, they've managed to take cover whilst the Liverpool and Manchester United have led the way on this. I can't believe that Arsenal, Chelsea, Spurs aren't, you know, aren't thinking, oh, this will be great if it happened and we, our name is not attached to it. That would be the best outcome of all. But the reason that we're here right now is that we have a financial disaster and it's literally weeks away. I mean, I, I posted a, a piece in The Standard last night from Orient saying they're five to six weeks away from folding. Scunful by herds. So it's not that Orient folding. That's not Orient folding. That was the owner, Nigel Travis, saying, on, he, he spoke to Mark Chapman on Five Live the other day. He said that clubs... Why the guy out of business in five or six weeks? Or he says after January, you'll see a lot of clubs going into admin. You know, we, we, we're lucky at the Den. I don't know Watford's situation, Oscar, but I know at the Den we are lucky to have a, a beneficial owner in John Barrelson. We've said it before, and I think we'll say it again now because we are very lucky in, in, in that way that he, he has a 
an evident love of the club. I can't think why else he would put money in if it was not for those kinds of emotional reasons. Um, clearly, what's motivating this from the, the top end, from, from the Glazer and, and Henry perspective, is a, is a greed-driven thing. And that's I, there's no way you can dress this up in any other clothes. But it, just to go back to an earlier point that Oscar made, when you look at the whole picture and I've got it I've got a screenshot of all of the main elements here if you take away <laughs> the biggest thing of all which is the the grab for power I take just park that to one side for a moment um it's actually a settlement in football that is not a million miles from one that most fans would say yes that's that's a good settlement you know the idea of spreading 25 percent of the Premier League's TV money across the uh, the lower divisions, Championship and, and Leagues 1-2. But there's a lot in there that is worthy of not being lost in the, the, the very hostile reaction that is generated. And I think partly that's because it is Liverpool, it is Manchester United, two, two great names in the game, but also two great names that people like to, to throw wet sponges at because of, of their status within the, within the sport. So I think there's a lot in it that we don't want to lose. Um, we can not, lose the, the parachute payments, like as in, like they've put parachute payments, yes, as a Watford right. fan, don't want to be losing that sort of money. So you know, let, let's keep the parachute payments, and and that's right. But I do want to add that the culture secretary Oliver Dowden has just come out that uh, he has received assurances from the EFL that no EFL club would be allowed to go into administration. Um, not really sure. Where the money will be coming before that. Um, But, you know, politics is politics. Achtung, Milwal. I'll tell you what, I'm interesting. There's a a lot of uh, shit coming out about Rick Parry now. A lot of very personal stuff going on about it. Former former, uh, Liverpool CEO. Um, And a lot of people saying that Rick Parry. Um, sort of form formed this whole idea. He formed this idea, and and he wanted um, he he put it to Liverpool, Manchester United, put it to Liverpool first, and then push it towards United. Um, a lot of people calling for him to, to be booted. We're going into conspiracies already. This was early. <laughs> I, I can't believe the 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 football league EFL. Struggle with that name, but they call it the EFL Football League. I can't believe they didn't appoint Rick Parry with without some idea that he's got these kinds of connections to the very, very top, the two biggest clubs in the game, in my opinion. He doesn't have he doesn't have links certainly to Liverpool. But clearly, there's a lot of um, despite being rivals, there's a lot of linkage between the two clubs locally in terms of who knows who. So that's why you you know if, if they didn't want what he's brought to the table here, the EFL. Then why would they appoint Rick Parry? They, that this this is what he's here for, in my opinion, is to produce a deal that's big, um, that, that that cuts to cuts to the chase. Because um, as we've said a few times, um, a lot in this big picture deal is what we would have wanted. Uh, the parachute payments Oscar's mentioned, you know, yeah, and and the um, you know the, the idea that you're spreading TV money down to the very bottom. There's support for the women's game. There's support for um, good causes or whatever they might be, but certainly there's, there's a lot of good stuff in here. It's it's the naked mafioso grab for power that's the thing, and and clearly these two clubs are not going to offer 250 
million pounds without being on the on the winning end of that deal and that's 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 the sticking point here isn't it i think aaron was onto something in terms of that mafia style dealing permeating this whole project from from the way it was communicated to the proposals themselves when you have Laura Scott, and I'm going to name drop her as a journalist because I thought this was reported terribly, saying uh, and quoting chairman from Burton Albin, Leighton Orient Preston, saying there was unanimous support. There were no dissenting voices. 23 of 24 clubs were supportive. And then you have a weird situation where you've got a chairman and owners going onto Twitter saying that's bollocks. What are you on about? And I thought that was absolutely disgraceful from a BBC journalist to just quote these individuals without doing the work. And, and it then puts pressure on other people saying, oh, should I be supporting this? And suddenly you're altering the narrative and, and being manipulative. Didn't like that at all. I'm guessing desperation's dry. I mean, I, I, I dare say, Oscar, there's a lot of, um, you know, with, with, with your fingers crossed behind your back, a lot of acceptance of the situation, of the reality of it, especially if the bank balance is likely to run out in five to six weeks time and there's no sight or no other deal on the table. Now, it may be that this has been what they call in the modern political parlance a dead cat strategy. You throw a dead cat onto the table and everyone jumps. And maybe this is what this has achieved now, because um, it seems that now there is movement. Suddenly, the Premier League is starting to have conversations that maybe they wouldn't have had, you know, even a few weeks ago. They were, we were hearing how Sainsbury's doesn't help the corner shot. You know, Nick, was, Nick, yeah. Nick, fuck this. A drowning man will grab onto any line. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, let me tell you something. No one expected COVID. No one expected COVID. And if someone's going to come and turn around and go, oh, the, the, you know, the clubs are insured to the hill, this is considered an act of God, which actually in insurance terms is, is written out as basically yeah. we don't pay out. You know? Force so, majeure, what they call it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. When you look at these people who own clubs, they don't want to put fork any more money out because they don't have the hundreds of millions. Well, some of them do. They just don't want to put it in. But, you know, they don't have the money to put in. So when they seal, oh, £250 million bail, like, yeah, we'll fucking take that. That's free money. It's free money. But I want to pick up on something that Ian Holloway has said. That's, that, that's, Ian, that's the EFL. This is what Ian Holloway said on TalkSport today. Very, very good. And I know, obviously, he's not very liked in this pod. But, you know, he kind of tells it as it is. He said, basically, they've got a gun to all our heads and are trying to take over football and make sure they will get richer. That's not what football's about. It's embarrassing. I've never seen anything quite like it in my life. It's horrendous. It's a time when everyone is struggling the most. They've come up with this. How are the top six? How are they the top six when Manchester United are 16th? Do you know what? <laughs> That's fucking salient, if I've ever heard it. He, it's, it's right. They put a gun to League One and League Two's head and said, well, take it or die. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. just... It's it's a shambles. It's absolute shambles. You know, um, Kieran Maguire was very very good. Um, everyone knows him sort of from the Price of Football pod and Price of Football on Twitter, and he just very simply said, for anybody that's got any attachment to football romance who believes in Wigan Athletic winning the FA Cup, this is the final nail in the coffin to prevent such behaviour. I won't quite go with Wigan Athletic because I don't quite like Dave Whelan because he broke his leg in cup final, but you know. It's, it's what it's about, the romance of football, the sort of sanctity of marriage. This is what it's about. You know what? This is like, you know, a really, really hot woman coming along and going, Go on, <laughs> and do you know what my Uncle Sonny said? Because this is what happened to my Uncle Sonny. My Uncle Sonny, for anyone who knows him, lovely man, the falafel king. He <laughs> <laughs> owned a couple of chip shops in the West End, yeah? And um, We've got to hear it now. Come on. We've got to hear the story. Married two kids, a couple of fish and chip shops in the West End. 
lovely guy, you know, proper, proper cheerful guy. And this Polish lady uh, okay. working for him and he got, thought, oh, yeah, I'll have a bit of that. And he started, um, he started, what's the word? Uh, Sorry, tonight. Come on, Nick. Good work on the pun, mate. Fornicating with her, let's just say that. Battering the fish. Battering the fish, you name it. And 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 he 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 he, his wife found out and he got divorced. He got divorced. He thought, yeah, this is great. Look, she's so fit, blah blah. You know, she she's she's great and whatnot. Trust me, you ask him now, he will not say the same thing. All he ever says to me is, son, the grass is never greener on the other side. That's because she moved in her mother-in-law who speaks no English from Poland to watch him and everything he does. Yeah? Literally, you sit in his house all years. Honey, that's it. That's his wife. Oh, fuck. I tell you what, Oscar, next, next podcast, we've got to get Uncle Sonny on this show. Uncle, Uncle Sonny is the biggest <laughs> legend. Should we take on Jeremy Kyle? Is that still there? <laughs> nah, man. He's too, he's too nice, Jeremy Kyle. And do you know, like, he always says to me, the grass is never greener on the other side. This is like that situation. Premier League, don't be that Polish woman in the chip shop, yeah? Don't do it. Don't do it. We don't need you. The Football League will continue. Trust me. It will roll on. It will absolutely roll on. It just, it, I think oh, well, this oh, oh, club needs to get over the next hurdle of the next two months. The, the, the country needs to get over the hurdle of the next one to two months. And I think things will slowly get better, you know. Well, this brings, this brings us on to Oscar's um, specialty, which is one of the things, I mean, obviously the, the, the gun to our head at the moment is the fact that the, the COVID restrictions mean that professional football can't have crowds and then there's this week there's been all sorts of who and ha on online as the London Palladium seems to have sold a show where there didn't seem to be an awful lot of social distancing going on and you know look like a pretty packed auditorium and the the contrast between um you know the fact that theatre seems to be uh able to 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 have uh, paying customers and football uh, which would help sustain the clubs rather than having to, you know, meet the devil at the crossroads and sell your soul. Maybe football could survive. But Oscar, you, 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 you we, we messaged on, on, on Twitter and you said it's not quite as simple as that. Is it that there, there's more to it than just that straight contrast between theatre and, and, and the arts and, and, and major sport? Yeah, I wish it was that simple. I wish it was just someone turning up to the theatre and sitting there watching a game of football. So... The difference between what we're dealing with in football and fans not being allowed to go or at least being allowed to go outside of the elite levels, apparently that's the top six of the the football hierarchy, and someone going to the theatre, is you, you need to separate the two instantly because football is cursed not so much by reputation but by demographic and infrastructure. Now, I'll try and explain this. As as easily as I can, but both of you feel free to kind of interrupt me and ask questions. Are we speaking of economic class here? (laughs) (laughs) We're going to touch on it. We're definitely going to touch on it. But um, yeah, you both brought it up earlier. It's it's a working class game. And and that means that there are different social mixing patterns or networks between those that attend the theatre. And and I am going to do a bit of stereotyping here. And those that go to the football. So if you're in a high contact job, Um, By that, I mean uh, you are interacting with lots of people every day. Instantly, you're higher risk than someone who is able or or financially capable of doing a job where they can work from home. So instantly, your, your social mixing patterns are different. You also factor in things like travel and um, social 
aspects of what you get up to at the weekend or in your spare time. So football fans are highly mobile as a population. They also use public transport and they're also impacted by traveling across the country. So there is significant regional variance at the moment in prevalence and incident rates. By that, I mean there are higher infections in the northwest and northeast than there are in the southwest and southeast. With football, you would have those football fans traveling between those areas weekly, if not every couple of days. So you'd be impacting significantly on the um, transmission rates across the country okay. you then have the experience of going to a football fan and and the compliance rates of the football population unfortunately this is where the curse of reputation comes in whereby football fans are deemed a little bit less likely to social distance to to comply with face coverings and, and so more likely to get pissed and things exactly like that. there you go you said what i wasn't willing to say but we saw it with liverpool winning the league we saw it with leeds getting promoted now we know that won't be the whole prison pyramid but unfortunately when it's so visible and it's happening so regularly with people traveling up and down a country every week via public transport, it is a significant issue. So I don't think that has been factored into the considerations, but what people have been looking at is infrastructure. Hang on a minute, why can I watch football indoors and, and hear Arsene Wenger talk at the Palladium uh, with another 500 people, but I can't go down to the Den or the Emirates or Old Trafford, mm. social distancing with a couple of thousand people. Again, football isn't as simple as an indoor-outdoor sport. So you've got to think, how are you getting there? Who are you interacting with? You're going through turnstiles. You're having high contact with people. You're using hospitality facilities and uh, laboratory, laboratory? Um, lavatory uh, facilities. Yeah, you're yeah. queuing for things if, if food and alcohol are being served. If they're not, you're then still having regular contact with people at half time and you are moving around your seats. We wish it was that easy that people would sit there like they do at the Palladium. You come in, you come out, you're done, and that will be happening as a one-off you then got the impact on public services. So football isn't just 22 people turning up on a pitch with a few fans watching. You've got the police, you've got first aid, you've got paramedics, you've got the implications on NHS capacity and absences of, of unfortunately, on Saturdays is when A&E feels the effects most from people interacting at the weekend. Football would, would be a further burden on that, not only taking staff away from their frontline duties, but also more people requiring to use them. You've also got to be thinking of the behaviours at a venue. At the Palladium, there might have been a Tottenham fan or a Chelsea fan uh, abusing Arsene Wenger from the sidelines, calling him a wanker. Um, but in reality, you're sitting there quietly. You're potentially keeping your mask on. Um, but at the football, you're shouting, you're singing, you're talking loudly, droplets, aerosol transmission. And you're often in a rebellious state of mind, if that's, if that's not an odd way to put it, because yeah. rules are often there to be broken in the stadium, aren't they? You know, it's part and part of the crowd mentality. Exactly. And then we haven't even got into the issues of testing. So I know Mia Wall's pictures have been doing the rounds and, and how much work Billy uh, and, mm. and Co have been doing at the club to make sure there is a safe environment. Um, but ultimately, how successful can fever checks and, and heat checks and, uh, and those things be when actually 
you can have false negatives with tests. You can have uh, different symptoms. You have people not showing symptoms. I think with fevers and, and temperatures at the moment, it's around 50-50 how many people present. So you're going to have 50% walking through the turnstiles anyway, potentially being asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic, i.e. not showing symptoms, but still being infectious. The best thing we could look at is loss of taste or smell. Maybe get someone to, you know, have... Cheese and onion crisps. Oh, hey, decap at the Danos, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so you can see it's, it's not as easy as just turning up at a theatre and watching a game of football. But the prospects of this, I mean, there's a petition that's been um, online, and 195,000 signatures when I checked the other day, it may well be more now, maybe over the 200 mark um, pressure on Oliver Dowd and the uh, Secretary for Culture and Sport. Um, highly unlikely in your opinion that's going to change for the reasons that you described because clearly with restricted restrictions being ever tighter in England and Wales and you know in the other countries too it's, it's to allow football fans back in would fly in the face of that of that general theme wouldn't it it's too late yeah mm. uh, the the time to open up and get fans into the grounds has now passed uh, we're we're on kind of lockdown now through to the end of the second wave, April, May time. So yeah, there, there is going to be no capacity for, for fans to return anytime soon. I think we will have acted quickly to, to at least do a beam back at the weekend at the Den. I think that's smart to get a little bit of income. I mean, there's questions about whether we should be interacting in, in such groups anyway, mm. but where you're legally allowed to exploit it and, and take that opportunity to create money, but that won't be lasting long. And, and we're only getting downhill from here. So no fans, um, rightly or wrongly, no project big picture money, no 250 million. Um, something has to give here soon, doesn't it? Because, you know, we, we've touched on it already. We don't want to go over the whole debate over the rights and wrongs of the, of the big picture. But one thing it did do was deliver a bailout funds um, on the 250 million scale that, that Rick Parry and, and the EFL say is going to be the lost income for the season. Um, just on Rick Parry again, Nick. Mm. Um, this is also the man who pushed the Premier League. Oh, he, yeah. Yeah, no, he was an architect of it. He was... He was, he was, he, um, he was quite the, the head honcho within the campaign to, to actually form the Premier League. He, he'll be back. Don't worry about that. They'll be back and they'll be trying to push something else soon enough. Uh, the well, other, they've got something between their teeth and they're going to try and try and try. Absolutely. I mean, the formation of the Premier League, I'm old enough to remember it. Um, you know, in the late 80s, there's this constant um, thing. Initially, it was when live TV started to cover, you know, league football on a Sunday afternoon. And that, that was the start of the uh, of, of the new world, in, in a sense, because previously it was just been recorded highlights. But gradually, as as the potential of live television dawned on the club owners, you started to get the push towards the Premier League. So from really from our, our brief um, period at the top in, in 88 to, to, to 1990, that was, that was the kind of lead into this period. And you, you, know, you had to throw into the mix the, the need to rebuild, rebuild stadiums after the, the hooliganism problems of the, the mid-80s. So you know, the, the logic of, that was established then, which is that bigger clubs carry bigger names, that people win downtown Bali don't want to watch Burnley play Palace they want to play, they want to watch Liverpool play you know Manchester United or or the other big names of Europe they, that's what they want to watch and I think there's a certain it's <laughs> a certain hard truth to that you know you how many times on Super Sunday have you thought oh god it's um you know Wolves versus um Sheffield United I think I'll pass on that it's there is a, there is a hierarchy of, of um pulling power 
for want back to back to the chip shop and your uncle again pulling power. <laughs> um, and clubs, cl- these clubs at the top want their worth, and that may not include the likes of um, you know the the, the the lesser breeds in in the Premier League. I think this might have been an eye opening experience for the for the Fulhams and for the. <laughs> For the uh, for the others, you know that suddenly you're not you're not on on the um, on the inside of this gang. But this 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 is a logical and the European Super League is the logical conclusion. To everything you've seen in the Champions League, I, I still yep. can't shake calling it the European Cup because that's the pristine competition of my youth. And exactly. That's, it's exactly. the Champions League and it's ever expanding fixtures that you don't care about. Gotham, but, but, but what made it such a pull for you? What what made it so enticing to watch? What football generally, or for yeah, the European, the European Cup? Well, it's the great games. I mean, you know, my my, my earliest first football memory for me was George Best um, winning the European Cup with Manchester United at, at the Wembley. I can remember that because we watched it on TV, black and white TV. Um, and then you go into the seventies, and you've got Johan Cruyff and Ajax, and and you know uh, Liverpool's exploits and Nottingham Forest, and so on, so forth. All of all of the big names of. Um, of football and you but followed you knew, it. But you knew they were the best they in were, the nation at the time. Every, every, every team that took part in the European Cup was a champion of their country. And that, that was... That, that, that's kind of the point of the Champions League. If you yeah. look at it, you know, now obviously it's like, you know, the fourth person who qualifies, you know, you go all the way to like Yugoslavia and play someone twice home and away and, you know, you qualify that way and stuff like that. Again, the Champions League has been open. But that, that, that ship sailed donkey's years no, no, ago. No, 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 the UEFA bonds have properly opened it up and, and turned it into something. The European Super League, however, it stinks. It fucking stinks. Because it's about you turning round to your base model and I don't want to say clientele mm. your base effectively and saying yeah we've outgrown you see you later now it's like a club turning around to the football the football league the Premier League and going yeah see you later pal forget it we've done 100 years yeah we're going to go and you're going to do something else it goes it relates to the pumping up of the World Cup into ever more teams taking part in it so oh, it's ever, you know it, it's 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 football it's desire to feed the tv monster that that's yeah. that's what I, well, it dilutes the product doesn't it? it it kind of destroys the reason we want to watch those events absolutely because they're, they're a one-off they're a rarity and and they feel special and you want to know that the teams there are the best teams um but then you also want to kind of be able to say oh yeah you know I've seen that. I'm, I'm connected to that. My team contributed to that team winning the league. And I'm one of those old school people that when my dad and I watched European football, we were always meant to support the English team. I know that's getting yeah, 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 a little yeah, bit yeah. and people don't care as much. And you see the abuse on social media and the glee when, when Arsenal fans get to watch Tottenham lose to Liverpool in the Champions League final. And, and that has gone a little bit. And you can see what's driving these views that a European cup or, or European league is is how you're going to kind of maintain interest in it um, one of the um definitely needs to do something different um, one of the hooks of the um interrupting Oscar just on European and football and TV but one of the hooks that um, was was selling the, the the project big picture which as I've said a couple of times I don't believe has completely gone away but was the uh, the football league was going to subcontract its TV negotiations over to the Premier League so the Premier League was going to take the product, the product being English football, including championship football and 
guest league one two i suppose and they were going to as a complete package to markets around the world and the efl were going to do that because the the, the premier league is, is such a past master extracting maximum value that they were going to make money by you know by by that method so you know i i i I know that as we're recording this, the, 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 the big picture has been shot down in flames, um, but I don't believe it's gone away. And I don't believe the likes of the Super League, whether you like it or not, that won't have gone away either. That, that will all come back again another day. Um, in what form, we don't know. We wait to see. I mean, I'll, I'll put it to you two chaps. You, 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 Aaron, you're a Premier League club fan and, and, um, and Oscar Watford not so long out of the Premier I'm League I'm not a fan I'm a supporter a support alright in comparison to these, these franchise bastards <laughs> you sit know, and order a fucking shirt every year I plough one and a half grand into my club every year it doesn't matter if I don't go or not I plough one and a half thousand pounds of season tickets every year you know, but but the threat from the Glazers and and John Henry is at the end they... of the day, right? Nick, right now, honestly, right now, I'm at a point where if we end up in a European Super League, I'm done. I will walk away from my football club. And do you know what? I'd rather go and support a club that actually fucking deserves my money. That and and you know, people always turn around to me and they go, "Oh, you know, you have this little love in with Wimbledon." The reason I have a love in with Wimbledon is because they deserve my money. They act fucking deserved they fought against you know against this corporatization and whatever you want yeah to against win. against football globalization against franchising people turn around to me and go oh like you know if like you know you're gonna jack your team and you're gonna be a glory hunter mate it ain't about the fucking glory it ain't about the fucking glory it's about the fact that you've got a club you've got a team and do you know what you're actually proud of them you actually get excited about them you're not sat there thinking to yourself, oh, what are these bastards going to pull out next? What stunt is it next? It's like now this pay-per-view deal, this £15 deal. I'm sat here going, like, fuck am I paying £15? I will not pay £15. I'd rather listen to it on the radio and watch it an hour later on Match of the Day. No, it's not going to happen. It's just about greed. It's just about money. With Manchester United now, you know, like your season ticket and stuff, they don't care if we don't renew. They don't give a shit because people will go and snap the tickets up. They'll go and buy them. And I love my club. And genuinely, the most depressing thing is when I'm at Media City and I look out across the office and you see across the fucking, uh, the, 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 the keys and you see Old Trafford there. And I, it's depressing. It's so depressing because I love my club so much. And you know what? I'm so lucky. I've been uh, one, two, three, four European Cup finals with my club four Champions League finals in my club, countless FA Cup finals, countless League Cup finals. I've seen us lift trophies. I'm so lucky. But right now, I feel so detached from my football club. It's unreal. I refuse to buy a shirt anymore. I will not buy a shirt anymore. Now, the sad thing is, is if I let go of my season ticket, I lose my points history effectively. Like, you know, I mean... Lose your place in the... In the, in the I lose the my place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got 27, 28 years. 30... No, fucking hell, it's 30 years now. 30 <laughs> years of points histories, of away games, of Europeans. Mate, I've been a Lille away, PSG away, Real Madrid away, Barcelona away, Bayern Munich away. I've been to all these places, Wolfsburg away, Michael Owen's going to fucking hat trick. I've been home and away. I've been to Russia with Manchester United. If i been off my season ticket, I'm dumb. I've no place. And then um, I've become even bigger. Least, Aaron, at least you won't have to watch... Uh, Man United losing all those places anymore. <laughs> there you go, man. Do you know what the, 
I enjoy it. I enjoy watching football. You know, I enjoy people turn around to me and, you know, this job I do, I go and watch random clubs over it. You know, I fucking love it. I enjoy the basic element of going to fucking Kenilworth Road. Kenilworth Road, Luton. Anyone who knows it, <laughs> I love going there. Do you know why? Because yeah. I respect the fact that Luton have a budget. Luton have a specific budget. But what they've decided to do is instead of going and get the best players, they'll go and get the best recruiter of players in Mick Harford. And they'll do unbelievable recruitment and they'll play good football. You know what? I respect that. I really like that. I love the rawness of it. And that's why I love Wimbledon. Because I look at it and I think to myself, you know what? These guys are skint. Skinter than skin. They don't have a backer. All they have is the fans' donations. The fans have put £11 million into building the ground. You know, what they've achieved is unparalleled but you know what it's because of the love of football that's what it is and I get taken the piss out of by Mark Chapman on Five Live every weekend he calls me a romantic and the truth of the matter is I'm I'm a proper football romantic I love football and I love the fans and I love what they bring to this game and I can't bear to see it bastardised anymore and the sad thing is it's my club who are doing it probably a good point to to close I just wanted to ask before we close I just wanted to ask you Oscar the experience of being in the Premier League, you were there quite recently with, with Watford. You are a Watford fan. I don't. I think we've, you know, we've, we've established that already. Um, did it change the club? Did, 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 did you come down a different club to the one that was promoted? That, did that happen years ago? Um, I think you've been in the, in, the, in the Premier League before. Yeah, no, I think, I think Watford lost their identity in the Premier League. And I think that was both a cause and effect of being in the Premier League. Uh, and I've got to say that, Aaron... Um, I really like you, but you're making me fall out of love with you because you mentioned Ian Holloway and Luton Town <laughs> in a single pod. Plus, you Oscar, could... Oscar, I used to watch <laughs> Watford when they were skin in the days of Sean Dyche. I used to go and watch Watford. I may, I've sat in the Rouse, and you know, I used to actually live up that way. So, literally, if United weren't playing on a, on a Saturday, you know what? For me, three o'clock on a Saturday, I have to go and watch football. I don't care what it is. I go and watch Watford under Dyche and go and watch a Watford under Malky Mackay in the real crap era. You know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, you suffered with me, mate. You I've, I've been when you see people like Don Cowie in midfield. <laughs> and Scott Severin and play... Long ball football with Neil Cox in the middle. Yeah. Long. That's, that's changed. The, sh- that's the show's game. turned into a Watford support group this night. No, no, but I genuinely, I genuinely <laughs> miss those days. And Millwall fans will get what I'm talking about because... When you walk down to the den, you're excited because you never really know what you're going to see, whether you're going to see a good performance or bad performance. But ultimately, you don't have much expectation. What Watford did was was start to kind of become a little bit glossy, a little bit fancy. And they did up the stadium. Great. We, we had a shitter win in the East Stand. And we had three stands for bloody ages. Um, but it got to a point where we lost what we were as a team and our connection to the community. We were buying incredible players like Delafeu, Capu, and selling crazy money in terms of Igalo and Richarlison. And what that did was create an ego to play for the club. You had players who were, who were there to move on quickly, but were playing for us just because we were in the Premier League. There was no heart, there was no desire, there was no commitment on the pitch. That's why we still love gritty players like Will Hughes. We still love Ben Foster because they want to be there. They're, they're actual Watford players and they, they put that on their Twitter profile and, and they're singing shout it from the rooftops. But that's lost. And what has been done really well with Gary Rowett and, and the Millwall side is that 
they've got an identity. They know who they are. They've got a core group of players who are gritty, who are feisty, but play quality football. And, and that's what I miss. And that's why I'm quite glad that Watford have got relegated because they can find that identity again. They can find themselves and who they want to be and what type of club they want to be. And they can reconnect with their fans and, and hopefully come back stronger. That's great stuff. Just, just on, on a sort of a massive, sort of just like a side point to that. Are, is there any club out there that hasn't lost its identity with success? I mean, obviously with... with you know, going into the Premier League, I look at certain clubs and, you know, if you can talk to me about clubs over the past 25 years that have come to the Premier League, I can give you a facet of their identity. I think of Swansea City. Swansea City came into the Premier League playing this really great brand of football. They absolutely outscored teams and they did everything on a budget. They did it really well. But when they came into the Premier League, they overachieved. They finished well one season. They played good football. And then slowly, slowly it started going downhill. When they're paying £20 million from an average player just to try and stay in the Premier League, that's when it goes downhill. And what happens? You get financial ruin and ultimately you sit languishing in the EFL and you have to rebuild. Cardiff City, when they came out, didn't learn their lesson. Fulham didn't learn their lesson. QPR didn't learn their lesson. All these clubs come up, they lose their identity, they stop playing the brand of football that they came into the division playing and they fuck up. The only club, truthfully, there's very few. I'd say Blackpool under, I'm sorry again, Ian Holloway, (laughs) he would win his identity because at the end of the day, it was a free hit. And the Oysters were were there to pocket the money. Blackpool, Cardiff under Warnock, I think they did very well and they were very, very unlucky as well. Um, Maybe you could say Reading under Steve Koppel. Back in 2005, they won the the championship at Acanta, 106 points, a record points tally. They played brilliant football. They had a great squad, a very settled squad. The next season, second season syndrome hits. Ipswich under George Burley in the early 2000s. Absolutely brilliant football with McGrill and Magilton, Fabian Wilness, players like that, Peralta. You know, and they, they did very, very well. And again, lose their identity, fucking get relegated. Sheffield United this year, watch, mark my words. Sheffield United will struggle this year because they've got an identity, but they haven't got a plan B. I can see them going down. And it's it's just a reoccurring sort of nightmare for clubs, you know, who, who just bastardise themselves. They'll try and defend and, and try and and try and, and, and limit damage, if you like, to ensure they stay in this juggernaut that is the Premier League. Probably a good point to close part one. Did you want to say anything else, Oscar, before we close? Have you have you said what you wanted to say on this, mate? Yeah, just it's been a pleasure. Really enjoyed it and, and glad Thank to be you, mate. Great to, great Lovely to, to have you. Um, we'll do this again at some point. Oscar, been, been good, mate, because I've enjoyed it too. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Achtung. Mailball. Welcome, dear listeners. Welcome to part two of this special edition of Achtung Millwall. Joining me is our show regular mr ryan loftus thanks for coming on the show ryan no problem nick uh thanks for staying up so late for me you know i've, I've rushed back from the office got the food in it got the food in the oven i've got a waiting girlfriend who's uh you know getting ever hungry but uh yeah thanks for staying up so late for me so we can have this chat <laughs> well we, we we only do it for the most important of subjects um we touched on uh project big picture which um seems to have been shot down in flames going by the um the social media tonight ryan um, mm. I can't help but think it's been shot down in flames, or has it? Because I wanted to get your take eh, on on the um, on on the, the scheme itself or the plan itself, but also on the tactics involved here. Because I can't believe that Rick Parry, uh, the Glazers, and John W. Henry would have expected to have announced this scheme to um, you know to to uh, to a happy reception in the rest of the Premier League they must have expected it to be voted down so my thought is what's next in the game of chess because I can't expect they can't have anticipated this moment yeah I think it's you know that the reaction over the last couple of days I mean I've been you know waiting to have a big rant about it because it's been you know on my mind a lot I've been listening to a lot and, and reading a lot about it and getting quite pissed off to be honest about a lot of people's kind of reception of it obviously it's generally negative but a lot of people kind of trying to pick out some some good from it whereas for me it is entirely negative whatever way you want to look at it I think you have to bear in mind you know it was leaked yeah. I think I think they had no intention of releasing it now um you know whether well whether or not you, you can't really say that for definite but you know the current kind of financial climate makes it a good point maybe to uh to get release it, it. but yeah but, you know they've been working on this for years it seems three years I think this is what well, the 18th edition of this plan so it is something that they've had, you know, in the offing and that will not, it won't go away, even though being shot down or, you know, being met with a mass displeasure or whatever, it won't, this won't go away. This is a precursor, I think, of, of what is to come and how American owners of football clubs and, you know, the, the big six want to shape their football. And, you know, Rick Perry is easy to forget that he used to be the, you know, he was the first chair of the Premier League. He was, he was you know, involved with Liverpool. And he took over the EFL, really, it may seem, to, to kind of get this done, is, uh, is how it's looking at the moment. I, mean, I put myself in the category you just described. I think I've tried to look for the, um, the upside of it. Uh, whilst parking the, the massive elephant in the room, if you, so, I mean, to an extent, it's contradictory. And I, I'm, I'm well aware that the, you know, you're, as I said earlier on, you're selling your soul to the devil at the crossroads, really, aren't you, in, in this deal? But if we park that transaction with Beelzebub, um, there are a lot of good parts in the deal. There's, there's a lot in this 
uh, big picture that you would have wanted to have designed if you had been given the, the the blank sheet of paper, Ron? Or would you not agree with that? Are you seeing nothing nothing good in in, in the elements? Oh uh, yeah, no, I wouldn't agree at all. Um, I think the the bits that seem good, I think, are it's it's a kind of an unmasked way of effectively here is the price we're putting on English football. This is what we're going to let us buy it effectively. Yeah. For me, it's the money that they are offering to the, the football league to save it. They're doing that because it's on its knees as it is, and it's it's a I think it's a really cynical thing that I mean I, I you know despite my years I'm a very cynical person generally and I can't know, believe that Ryan. I'm very despairing of <laughs> football in general. I know it's. You know, I think I've got there early, but you know, in a world like in a world like it is today, I think it's far easier to be listeners, cynical sometimes. Listeners, he's fresh faced, but he's got a weary soul. <laughs> it's, like, it's, been, it's been worn down uh, by many years, and I think twenty twenty isn't really helping. But no, no. I think no. generally, what I think you have to okay, the, the game is at a point where it is in financial ruin. Yes, you know, to not put it lightly because of COVID, but but without COVID, it is. Again, the game is clearly becoming unsustainable. But you have to look back and ask, why is the game becoming unsustainable? Why is why are clubs, especially in the championship, but in League One now as well, it's spreading, why are they spending so much money? Why are they overspending so much money? And the reason for that is because of the Premier League. There's no Absolutely. question. Because Absolutely. of the trickle-down money, because the Premier League was set up to stop any money going outside of the Premier League. And that's what it's done. It's dried up everything else so that... No teams can really, you know, survive on their own. They've got EPPP to take the best young players for a pittance. So, you know, one avenue that of finance that people had, you know, for, outside the Premier League was selling on big young players or, you know, developing their own players. But the Premier League has put a stop to that in order to give them two more percent of their massive billions of TV deals. So the only reason this money chasm and this dearth of money and this this whole problem is because of the Premier League. So... The Premier League are paying for a problem that they caused, that they knew they would cause, which they wanted to cause. So for me, the game today is obsessed with money. Sky Sports, the papers, the owners, so many of the fans are obsessed with money. Transfers, um, you know, how much, who's who's the owner? How much is he worth? Look at the Newcastle fans are losing their minds over potentially becoming a super rich club, but ignoring all the, the facts of who was actually trying to take them over, yeah. you know, it's a, the game is obsessed with money, and that is fundamentally wrong. That is not why I like football. That is not why I would say ninety percent of match-going fans forget all the fans who sit and watch games on their sofa. The game isn't for them. I, I know that's the industry as it's going, but the game isn't for them. The money that is in the game is driven at such a point that is on its knees. Where I'm at, a, I'm at a point. Given everything else that is in this deal, let the EFL crumble if it has to without accepting this deal and rebuild it right. would be my stance right. because the clubs you can say look the clubs have got themselves into this situation or you know greedy owners or overspending or whatever the game needs to learn to be sustainable and if this is a harsh wake-up call to teach it that then let it learn its lesson don't sell away all of your rights because what this deal does by handing power to an elite six clubs it just it kind of just ruins all integrity of what football is and what the whole point, you know, teams in League One aspiring to 
rise up the leagues or even you know the lower but, like lower sites in the Premiership are. are a does it not? Diet. Does it not formalise reality, Ryan? Because you're you know you, you're right. I'm, I'm not. I wouldn't dispute anything that you said. I didn't dispute anything the chap said in, in part one of the show, which is of a similar um, a similar vein, without being specific, it's similar to what you're saying now. But is this, this, the scheme as cooked up, and I think that's probably a good phrase because it's been done in secret and it was announced as a, as a kind of like a nuclear bomb, I saw it described on, on, on one column, um, prior to a meeting that was scheduled to discuss the impact of COVID and, and the shutdown and, and, and the, 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 the crisis that's causing. Um, does this scheme not formalise the, uh, the, the the practical reality? I mean, whether we like it or not, Liverpool, Manchester United, Chelsea and Arsenal and Spurs, maybe one or two others, are amongst the biggest clubs on the planet. They are They occupy this... this um, you know, this kind of gilded um, spot in, in, in world sport. Now, we might not like it. We follow a club that is never going to get to that level, has no desire to be at that level. Um, but equally, we, we, have our, we have our position within the, the pyramid. The scheme does seek to spread some of the money around to a greater level than is, is um, going on right now. That was what I picked out as being amongst the better part. There are other bits and pieces, and mm. I, I, some you can say, yeah, tick or cross, whatever you, way you want to look at it. But at its heart, is it not accepting the reality that there is an elite group of clubs that operate in a stratosphere way beyond, beyond our dreams, a European stratosphere, world stratosphere? And then there's the rest of football that wants to survive this, this winter, certainly, and potentially prosper within a, a fairer structure. How, I mean, what do, you, what, what do you say to that? I, I, I take all the bad stuff, I, I accept yeah. it, but there so, is there is elements in it that seek, seek to, to change it. Change well, of course, that, that redistribution, I think, is one of the, the massive plus points that people have kind of harped on about. And I think, again, the, the way that sport is covered, football is covered in, the, in England and, you know, on most media outlets, it is from basically the top half of the Premier League is what they talk about and everything below it doesn't matter. So the the idea that, look, they're giving the the lower leagues a bit more money from, yeah. they should just be happy and accept it. But what costs a man's soul, really? I think the, 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 the whole reason <laughs> of the package as it is now is, okay, they say we give you 25% of our TV revenues. We'll take it all in and redistribute it there so we can get it better. Yeah. Why, what happens then in five years' time when the top six go, actually, forget that, fuck that, yeah. we're not doing that anymore. We'll give you 5% and we're going to vote it through on our own. And I've seen that, I've seen that. And we will do it. And I think there's, that's just, not, it's not even not inconceivable. It is, I would say, almost a dead cert to happen. I think that the whole point of doing this now, and, you know, whether it was leaked or whether they kind of, slyly put it out there to kind of get this ball rolling they are doing it now because clubs are on their knees so that in five years time they can go remember when we saved you you cannot say anything about this and like you know the rules of they can remove the head of the premier league by voting it through themselves they can stop other owners taking over to stop it themselves this just enshrines the big six as it is now in a snapshot of 
you know, current times. Chelsea were never a big club until Abramovich came in. Oh, absolutely um, not. Spurs absolutely. were not one of the money bag sides. Man City were never one of the big sides. You know, all these the clubs that are now defined as the super rich. What happens if Newcastle did get one to get taken over? What happens if a, a billionaire wants to buy Aston Villa or Leeds or anyone and make them one of the big clubs? They can just vote that and say, no, you're not having it. What this does is permanently enshrines the, the four or five who happen to be in vogue now as the permanent big six. And I mean, this is really, I see it as a precursor to them breaking away and or them at least threatening to break away. And, you know, whether that's a European Super League, their own league, whatever it is, if it gets to that point, they, they fuck off, like, let them go. If, if I think what it is, it's, it's the, the American owners, so Man United and Liverpool who are driving this, have both have American owners who yeah. are involved with American football clubs, and they don't understand how they don't get more money because all American, all NFL clubs are profitable businesses because they, you know, in America, people live to make money. And they do it well, especially in sport. They can't, they can't understand English football, how it runs, how clubs have an equal say in things, how you know West Brom, who've just come up this season, get the same say as Man United in a vote in the Premier League. But that's democracy. That is how things are set up. And they don't want that. They want to enshrine it. They want to have no relegation and promotion, I guess, in the long run and just have these big money bags teams facing each other every season. But... That's not what football is about in England or really in Europe or, you know, globally. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, to because of their current situation, because they happen to own these clubs at this time, why should they get the say to dictate how sport should be in England? You know, they are, they're not above our culture and our history. They are just, you know, the Glazers have owned Man United for five minutes. And now they want to restructure the entire game. And it just it just doesn't sit right with me in any way. No, I make you right. I mean, we've touched on American sports models, which, I mean, you look at NFL, Major League Baseball, any of them, the National Hockey League, basketball, they're sealed competitions. You don't, you know, um, you and me couldn't go to some park in, in downtown Brooklyn and start a baseball team and expect to make it to the top. Whereas, in theory at least, we could go and start a team in Beckton Park and, and aim for the very top if we could sustain it long enough. It yeah. might be a very unlikely outcome, but the potential, the route exists, isn't it? I mean, for any, any mm. non-big side, the route is there. And I, I take the point entirely that uh, it's, it's what I think we've called before the jewel in the crown. It's, it, it is the, the, the essential beauty of English football. <clears throat> the problem, the great problem is, yes, you're right, there's, there's a sense of extortion about this deal, um, which which is true. I can't deny that either. Um, but equally, we're staring at casualty rates that are going to be very, very high if, if if no money's forthcoming. Yeah, I I, I accept all the criticisms of the deal. Um, my my problem, I think, in a nutshell, is is not not the criticisms of the deal because I can see what you can see and everyone else has pointed yeah. out. I don't see another deal around now. It may come to pass now that the, the Premier League have had their <laughs> Their um, yeah, their, their their cages rattled by this this experience. Possibly, um, the government are leaning on them, but I don't put much faith in this government to do anything that's going to be of any practical use. 
Um, sorry if anyone out there voted for them, and you know, <laughs> I don't know. You know, if 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 it turns out that Oliver Dowden is General Custer riding at, at the head of the U.S. cavalry, well, I think Custer got shot in the end. So um, you know, we, I won't put too much faith in in, in that. Yeah. So I don't see another deal. But my my no. point being, where's the money going to come from if not no, from definitely. something that looks like this one? Definitely, and that is, I think, one of the biggest problems. And it is a bit of a standoff between Premier League clubs. I think you can lay as much blame for this at the the, at the government's door, the lack of support, given the lack of letting fans in. Yeah, um, yeah. You know that like that obviously has been through the the last few days of you know other places having fans or having fans having spectators inside theatres and places like that and that has obviously driven up even more resentment that football isn't allowed fans in where that would go a big way to helping clubs out and you know stopping this dire need for money but that doesn't look like it's forthcoming so enough you can lay a lot of the blame I think at the the current government's door in terms of how they are dealing with football because I think it's been said by a number of people um, you know sports writers and, and politicians alike saying that Boris Johnson and Oliver Dowden, they see the top of the Premier League spending a lot of money mm. and that for them means football is fine. You know, but I think the, the people who need helping out the most in football are from League One and down. Personally, I don't think the championship warrants a bailout in any way. Um, Millwall are struggling, but obviously having fans in would help us. But there are enough teams in the championship that have mega rich owners and who have been overspending like crazy for years that this is their own fault. We look at teams like Reading, who spent three times their income on wages, Forest, who are massively overstretched. You look at Stoke, who spent yeah, 60, 70 yeah, million yeah. in a transfer window, but are owned by one of the richest people in the UK in Bet365's CEO. Um, they've got more than enough money to, to survive this. But look at teams below the pyramid who really rely on that um, matchday income. That's where the, the worry is and, you know, giving money to them for the, like, you know, from a government or from the Premier League, whoever it comes from, is going to be massively important from like League One, League Two, National League and, and further down. But it is a big problem where it comes from. I think what this has shown, again, this deal is that Premier League could easily do it. The Premier League easily has the money to spare because they are, they've literally given everyone forward a proposal saying, we've got this money to spare if you want it. So I think there was a statement today about um, the EFL was discussing the £50 million that the Premier League are offering. Yeah. And I think the, the, the issue here actually is an interest, it's almost not a separate issue, obviously, because it's all, it's all linked, but is the attitudes of the smaller Premier League clubs is an interesting one here. So for Manchester United and Liverpool, we put this forward. To be honest, they could easily help out the league if they were, you know, if enough pressure was put on them. I think they, would, they wouldn't really struggle with doing that. The ones who here are showing their greediest nature are the Crystal Palaces, the the Brightons, the Burnley. So I think the small fries. Thing, yeah, I, agree. I think yeah, I think a big comment that has been made about um, why this this big picture has been released is because the Premier League are getting increasingly pissed off with the comments made by Steve Parrish about. Um, lower league clubs not getting bailed out because other businesses aren't doing it. The comments by Sean Dyche saying the same small hedge funds don't bail out or big hedge funds don't bail out small hedge funds so Fighting why should ones. we? Yeah, yeah. But that is to completely miss the point and miss the nature of what football is. Other hedge funds don't rely on other hedge funds to play a game every Saturday. Um, 
And the Premier League get really pissed off when they say things like that. And the deals that they've been putting forward to the EFL have all had massive stipulations like a harsh salary cap in the championship or null and voiding relegation this season. And that is all in self-interest from those smaller clubs to preserve their temporary status as Premier League clubs. And that has pissed off the big clubs and obviously it's pissed off the EFL clubs. So we're getting to a point, I think this big picture thing is, is part of it, where it's almost a standoff between the bit, the top six the EF, and the EFL on one side and then the bottom 14 clubs in the Premier League. And it's a very odd place to be where really all, all that's happening at the, at the bottom of it is, you know, the likes of Lincoln and, and Shrewsbury are sitting with a begging bowl with their fingers crossed, hoping that these uh, bigger clubs can sort themselves out. I mean, something has to give because you, you, you've summarised it brilliantly. Um, that the, a, a deal has to be struck from somewhere soon. Maybe, maybe now this is what will happen as a result of the shock of the, of the, of the new um, you know, proposals, plans, um, stitch up, whatever way you want to put it. Um, it's also introduced a lot of the good elements that we've, that we, we've mentioned a few times on the, across the show. Um, and it's brought, put them on the table. So uh, I, I, I am intrigued to know what the next move in this chess game is going to be because I cannot believe that intelligent men like John, John W. Henry and uh, Joel Glazer and Rick Parry, in fairness to him, I've sat down and thought, well, let's, let's just announce the annihilation of the bottom 14's um, voting rights mm. and they'll all, you know, organise a party yeah. for us. And say thank you very much. They, they must yeah. have known this would be the outcome. So what Oh, next? 100%. I think this is very much a, a classic negotiation tactic of, you know, putting the first thing out. first thing you put out there is massively overstretching. You put everything that you could ever dream of wanting for people to go, are you mad? And then you go, okay, we'll take this off, we'll take this off, we'll take this off. And in the end, you end up with what you really wanted um, with a bit less, you know, um, pushing back on it. Really, I think there will be plenty of stuff in there that the top six or the, you know, the, the, the two or three parties that are putting this forward will happily renege on or go, oh, do you know what? We'll, we'll forget that. We won't do that. But it might also go, you know, you know, that 25%. Okay, we'll go, we'll drop it down to 12 and, and anything like that. I mean, something has to give. You are right. Something has to give because we're looking at a situation where football just can't go on. And you know, like I said, I don't think that the championship clubs, the majority of them, deserve a bailout. I don't think that, you know, like I said earlier as well, I'd rather see football kind of go to the wall temporarily than give over all the power to a limited few. But something does need to be done. And it is hard to see where it's coming from. And that is the big worry. And, you know, like you say, this could all be stopped really with letting fans in. and um, Or at least temporarily put on pause. This won't be the last we hear of this or oh no um, no 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 or anything but i think the, you know the end route of this will be give us what we want or we will break away from the premier league and make our own mini tournament or european super league or whatever it is i think this is the the ball is getting rolling on that and i think they've got until realistically the end of the next um broadcast rights package or i think it's 2023 yeah to to decide what they want and you know, we'll see what happens, I think. But the, the, the most important thing for me is, like I say, I'm, I couldn't care less about the top six, really. I couldn't care less about Premier League compared to, you know, my interest in Millwall or other clubs. But that's, that's where the worrying aspect of it is now. And I want to see football 
saved or figure out a way to be viable and and financially secure in the long run and i don't want to do that by by selling it off really Achtung Mehlball because it's a good uh, segue into Millwall um with the remember this is a Millwall foot podcast listeners and people tuning in to get Millwall news and Comment. Okay, <laughs> uh, but we can't ignore the biggest uh, story in, in, in football, in English football. So um, Definitely. I want to move on to Millwall, if I may, with you, uh, Ryan. Obviously, you've got a game uh, this coming Saturday away at Wickham Wanderers. A couple of stories I just picked out on the on the um, South London Press website. Um, the transfer deadline is still, um, I think it closes very shortly. Can't remember yeah. what that is. Anyway, it's, it's, we're still able to make moves. There's a story that Gary Rower is, is hoping to add to the Millwall squad uh, before oh Friday. You know, our Friday's transfer deadline. Um, it, reputedly, he's looking for a central midfielder, which will bring us to Ben Thompson in a moment, um, and then potentially another striker. Uh, given that Troy Parrott is um, still crocked, um, and Ben Thompson just to you know, fit in with that story is 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 itching for a lone exit. Um, he's not getting game time. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, I will feel quite sad to see the back of Ben Thompson, and I know that's um, some would say it's a little bit um, sentimental, but it will be a very sad day that Ben Thompson leaves for Portsmouth. Um, but he doesn't. Rowett doesn't seem to fancy him at all, Ryan. Yeah, I think it's it's a hard one with Ben Thompson because he's his whole mill. Reputation really has been built on, um, you know, his returning from a loan spell at Portsmouth. Um, and obviously, you look back, he didn't get a load of goals, but his, he definitely had an impetus and, and kind of uplifted the team. But then also you look back at that season and we, we survived because other teams were worse than us. You know, we didn't win that many games in the second half of the season and we didn't have a great escape. We just kind of were happy that Rotherham were in the league that season. and they always go down. Yeah. So he's, you know, he's never been amazing as a middle player. He's been one that's full of promise. And I think with the, the thing is with him is he's probably been our most promising player in, in a long while. And so like you say, to see the back of him would be sad on loan. I don't think it would be too bad because obviously he's still our player. He'll develop a bit more, but whether he's quite at the championship level, I think what's interesting is as well is Rao is not the first manager not to back him at this level. Harris, yeah. sent, Harris sent him out on loan initially. That's true. He was a little bit younger, but you know he played most of the League One season. And as soon as we got to the Championship, he couldn't get a game. Um, I think the weaknesses in his game are his kind of positional discipline. Mill fans love that he gets about the pitch and puts himself about. But when you're trying to play how Rowett wants, where everyone's positionally tight and disciplined, it's hard. And I think especially it's hard where if we were playing a midfield three with a back four, I think Thompson fits in perfectly. But where we play a two, he doesn't quite fit in. And obviously, he played a bit on the left before his injury last season. And, you know, that doesn't suit him at all. But at the moment, it's really struggling to get him in the team. And I think we will need to get better as a team before we can use him, really. Because, or he needs to learn his place to an extent. It sounds harsh, but it's a really difficult one. I can understand why he's not getting game time under Rowett. I can also understand any frustration that he's not getting game time because he's not really had a run and I think that is one criticism um, you can le- level at Rowett is that he has a fixed 11 pretty much and it's hard to get into it because you know you look like Conor Mahoney who people want to see do well yeah. and he can come on in flashes and he'll have 
one 20-minute spell where he's really good in a game, like say against the Charlton game, and then he'll have another week where he comes off the bench and he's not very good, but he never starts. Rowan never goes, you know what, you had a good 20 minutes, let's give you a start for three games in a row and see how you do. You know, he's not had that at all. And but Thompson also hasn't had that. So it's hard to see him getting minutes. And I think that is harsh on him, but also understandable. But there's one criticism he can level at Rowett. And if that pushes him away from the club, I think that'll be a big negative mark on uh, on Rowett's kind of a copybook at Millwall. I agree. Uh, I mean, just on, as an aside, I'm just reading the South London Press story that uh, Ben is pushing for a lone exit. Um, I haven't realised he's 25, Ryan. I mean, that's 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 a critical point in a player's short. You know, the football yeah. is a short one. Um, 25, you really need to be an established position player. You know, if it's not going to happen now, it's not going to happen at all for for you. So, I can yeah. understand Ben's desire for game time. Um, you're right about Harris never really um, being on fire. You know, for for, for Ben. Rowett clearly has a different format in mind for the midfield, and uh, well, you know he's 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 paid by he's, he's paid to produce the results, and I, I also agree that this is a big turning point for Gary Rowett. Be the first un, unpopular, controversial stroke decision they would have taken. Yeah. Um, and although the form of the side, I mean, we've, was it one that was the first defeat, wasn't it, just before the um, the break? Um, yeah. It's kind of. It's, it's it's okay, but not brilliant form at the moment. So, Rout will need to liven things up a little bit if he's going to let one of our much-loved players go because you need to be yeah. something in the aftermath of that. Game at Wickham on Saturday, they've had an appalling start. They do look out of their depth in, in the Championship. Um, my note to myself, and I want to get your take on it, is I would be very... It will hurt a lot if we don't come back with points from... <laughs> From from the end forty, and so I know you can never um, oh. never say never, but it w- this will feel like a game that we've got to go and get a win now. Don't, would, would you agree with that? I mean, doesn't this game have a uh, Fred on who didn't make eighty eighth minute one 0 to Wickham <laughs> on the end of a Jason McCarthy? <laughs> 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 oh, after after Ainsworth has had a row with Rowett and got him sent off or something, yeah, I, mean, I know. It wouldn't I be know. a more middle result, and <laughs> I think I think this is. Not a turning point for Millwall season. I mean, we haven't set the world alight um, in the start. It's been a steady one. It's been all right. But, you know, we've not been fantastic. We've not been, you know, we've been relatively defensively sound, but then, you know, not great against Swansea. Um, you know, two kind of soft goals to, yeah. to lose that one. So this one, if, if, it, if you don't get the win, I think pressure to an extent starts mounting up on Rowett and... Um, I mean, this is the sort of game that we'll lose. This is the sort of game that we'll lose without a shadow of a doubt. We played Huddersfield. You're cheering me up no end, Loftus. <laughs> no, but I mean, we played Huddersfield last season without a win in nine and drew it. You know, Luton without a win in eight or nine and drew that. But, you know, I think I think we'll have come a long way. I think this isn't under Rowett. Rowett's Mill will don't lose these games. You know, Rowett's Mill will go on the road and we do yeah. a job and we get three points. So if he doesn't do that, I think. You know, there will be a little bit of dissent in the ranks, and if that's you know a day after Ben Thompson departs on loan, then he's got some. He's got to do some quick turnaround. But you know, I think, like you say, Wickham are out of their depth in the Championship. I think that's quite clear for a lot of people to see, and I think we have the quality to just not bruise past them, but you know, to get the win. Miss score prediction Saturday, Ryan for Wickham versus Millwall. I've got to go. I think two 0 to Millwall. I think. Uh, 
we're defensively solid enough to keep them out. They're, they're pretty much only a threat from set pieces, which I think we should be more than capable of dealing with. But um, yeah, I'll go for a 2-0 and uh, the all season kind of get up and running. Kickstart. I'm going to go Wickham Wanderers 1, Millwall 2. I think we, we, sh- we should. We have to get those three points there, dear listeners. Um, no fantasy league or ACA action this week because of the international break. So it only remains for me to say thank you to Ryan for taking time out of your evening, mate. Thank you very much. No problem. Always good to... Uh... You know, hold the world to rights on an actual Millwall pod. <laughs> why, why else are we here? We look at the big problems, you know, that are going on in the world of governance and, and money, and then we and then we really hone in on Ben Thompson's uh, playing situation. So you get it all here, listeners. There we are, dear listeners. Thank you for listening to this um, extra show, not extra long show. And you want to do bye for now, Ryan? Oh, why not? Bye for now. for listening to Aston Millwall. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a cheeky little review. However, it's actually Millwall. Till next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.